0: Bandwidth for November has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all our content here at 5x5, and they are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-I-C-H-E, F L Y, and let them know that you heard about them here on 5x5. did Andy, just say I'm recording.
1: I record everything. I'm also recording. Here we go. 3, 2, 1...
0: We recorded this episode on October 27th, 2015. This is On The Grid, episode 139. This week, we decided Dan hasn't talked enough, so we interviewed him. This is the Getting to the Bottom of Dan episode. Here we go. Hi, Andy. There's a lot to cover, man. Where do we start? Jesus, I mean, phew. We, j- we had a nice weekend. We got,
2: we got Faithful Findings. We got a weekend full of magic. We got the Great British Bake Don't talk off. about
0: Faithful Findings yet. I haven't watched it yet. All I, I will say
2: it. is you should watch it.
0: <laughs> I have it now.
2: Woof. It is something. Uh, is sh- it?
0: What, like, on a scale of The Room to nothingness, what is it?
2: I think it is a worse movie than The Room, but perhaps worse in some maybe less interesting ways. Uh, and I think, more importantly, it's not really quotable. Where The Room is very quotable, yep. uh, Fateful Findings not so quotable because it is so barely written. There's not even anything to quote. I don't know what you would quote. <laughs> okay all right Um, all right but you you got to watch it it is essential it is required viewing
0: all right i can do that so there's that there's magic is you crushing me in madden oh yeah let's talk about that let's talk about how Mm -hmm. we played some magic blah 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 Mm -hmm. results don't remember it's true madden however andy and i played madden this weekend and i beat him about what 90 to 30 something it was a lot it was not very good just to be clear if if we're if you're wondering who's better I am better.
2: Matt is superior. It's <sighs> a superior man, in really always is what I would say.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I would say my ability in Madden translates to all areas of life. So yes, I'm significantly better in all ways.
2: We just had a nice lazy boys weekend. I uh, this is only the fourth time we've ever seen each other in person. Is that what that was? Yeah, I get fifth maybe. I think it's about time to stop counting. But you know, not <laughs> that many times we get to see each other in person, which is <laughs> which is nice when, when it gets to happen. And we just mm-hmm. uh, you know ate trashy pizza, watched trashy gr- British television. And uh, played trashy video games and card games. Classy
0: British television.
2: In the grand scheme of British television, is it classy?
0: I don't know. They're so charming.
2: Anyway, it's Except a good for show. The hosts. Uh, anyway, we're just getting our us out of the way up front because uh, Dan. I hope you got your glass of water. Uh, you warmed I, your
0: throat up because you're going to be talking more than normal this uh-huh. episode. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Well, I, I bet I bet our audience has noticed that we've we've covered a lot of topics that are really Matt and Andy topics, things about our businesses.
2: I mean. Uh, that was never the intention. I think, I think honestly, we cover topics that you and I just ended up talking a whole lot about and kind of uh, sure. steamrolling, Dan. Sorry, Dan. But, like, negotiation is not strictly a Matt and Andy conversation.
1: We just turned it into a Matt and Andy conversation. <laughs> yeah. Well, all that, I mean, you two have a lot in common with your your work lives, where I'm also the outlier on that. So it does kind of make sense when you two get to, like, mesh on that. So there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with it.
2: Eh, there's maybe something wrong with it. You never know. Either way, uh, we talked too much last week. We feel bad. The listeners are demanding more Dan. They're at the gates. They're pounding on the doors. They're screaming, more Dan, more Dan. So they're going to get all the Dan they can handle this week because we've been talking about maybe doing some interesting, weird episodes in the past, and I think now's the time to do one of these episodes. And we're calling these, what, getting to the bottom of one of us episodes? Mm Mm-hmm. Getting to the bottom of Dan. Bottom of Dan. So this episode is called Dan's Bottom. Yeah, and uh, it's all about what Dan uh, has at its
1: bottom. I love how this has already turned into a butt joke. This pleases me.
2: Well, I mean, I figured it's your your show, so we might as well <laughs> might as well be on brand. Um, no, I think uh, if if this is your first time listening to On the Grid, maybe not start here. I mean, unless you specifically came for the Dan action, in which case start here. But uh, this is not a typical episode of the show because we're not going to be strictly covering one of our you know, traditional practical conversations with lots of uh, sweet tips and topics. Uh, Instead, we're really going to just try and figure out what the deal is with Dan and get to the bottom of his whole life story. And at some point in the future, when we get tired of doing other episodes, we'll do this maybe for Matt and I. But I, Dan, I got to say, I'm most excited about... You're getting to the bottom of episode because uh you don't you don't talk as much as uh as, as Matt
1: and I. I was telling Matt over the weekend. You're a great mystery. Yeah, who are you're, you? You're
0: who is this Dan character that hides behind his microphone? So enigmatic.
1: Wow. Prepared to be disappointed.
2: You're a mystery wrapped in a riddle, and uh I, I think I think our listeners probably agree. We we want to know what's going on in there. <laughs> First, I, w- I want to give Dan the option. Dan, do you want to start with a statement of any kind? Do you want to open the f- opening the floor with uh, with opening statement remarks? The
1: only thing I'm going to say is, if the people ask for this, you're getting exactly what you wanted, and whatever that is, then cool. But I guess, like, are we seriously doing like a life story thing? Yeah, we have to get to the bottom of you. Don't you understand? Wow. So,
2: uh, Dan, why don't you give us just some uh, some baseline demographic? Give us some ASL. That's what we want to know.
1: Okay. Uh, Oh, Jesus. I'm not going to do that, but I will say... fuck. (laughs) That's just shorthand for, like, you know, basics. Give us some of the basics. All right, fine. Hi, my name is Dan. I don't think we've met before. Short for Daniel, yeah? Yeah, yes. Uh, In most cases. I don't want to assume. So, I'm originally from North Carolina. That's actually where I was born. I've lived in other places since then, but uh, I'm currently... Like are we seriously okay? Yeah, fine. we're doing it. Yeah, yeah we're doing right, it. Fine. You don't have to
0: ask every time. Yeah,
1: no. We'll ask this is you the questions. No. You don't need to ask us the questions. God, I feel like I'm on the, that old dating show that was on TV with like Bachelor Number One, that sort of. You stuff. You are
0: Bachelor Number One. You're and going, number going two, home and number with Number
1: Three and Number Four with me or Matt. So answer questions wisely. All right, fine. So I'm originally from the South. I'm originally from North Carolina. Um, I am 29, just about hit 30. I want to know. What your earliest memory is? I would have to say my earliest memory that I can recall is being a toddler, um, and in my parents' house in I think it was in Clayton, North Carolina, um, and I was like in the living room, and uh, I think playing with my brother. And family was there as my parents, and then uh, dad's parents, uh, which was which is actually quite odd because dad's father, so my grandfather on on his side. I passed away when my dad was like 27 so like I actually recall him being alive and there's actually a picture a picture from that day uh, oddly enough so I'd have to say that was my earliest earliest memory wait
2: what is the memory of you're just in the family room as a toddler you have a memory of this is like this place and time
1: yeah yeah and it's just like me playing and it's just family there and it wasn't anything really specific it, uh, you know at the same time that's also a very 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 early memory so i can't say that like what i was what toy i was playing with or what exactly everybody was doing so i mean that's literally True. when you say the earliest that's it yeah, no, yeah that's what i wanted then yep what is your family even like i know you have siblings i know
0: you have mom and dad obviously yeah. but how did they shape you you're a pretty laid back kind of guy yeah and i feel like you take things in stride is that uh is that something you can Blame on your background?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, not even close. Well, maybe, maybe it was a reaction to it. No. Um. So yeah, I have obviously a mom and dad. That's how I got here. Uh. So thanks. Well, to Okay. Thanks for that. Good start. very specifically. Yeah. Th- so thanks, mom and dad, for doing whatever you did that I don't really want to think about. Anyways, yeah, I have uh one brother, an older brother. Uh, oddly enough, he also moved to California about a year and a half ago. So he lives about a mile from me. Uh, but pretty typical family. Uh, if you could describe my parents anyway. like my mom is um like very friendly just like very loving uh but also um like made sure that we were we were brought up like you know with our pleases and thank yous and make sure that we we're to grow up to be like good upstanding boys and all that uh my dad was definitely the hard ass growing up um so he uh, like worked a lot and he was very like uh, adamant about chores being done uh, especially like we had a regimen of like every weekend there would be specific chores everybody had to do and that was just the way it was growing up was very structured in that sense um and everybody like if if you kind of see my family compared to other families like it's very um to the point where it's like there's like a plan for everything and everything is thought out and, um, like nothing kind of comes up as a surprise and nothing's really last minute. So when I was growing up, I was the rebellious kid because I did stuff last minute and I just kind of did whatever the hell I want. Um, and, uh, so I was definitely the outlier, especially in the sense, cause my dad, uh, was an engineer when we were growing up and like, he, he moved on to do like a more business like analyst sort of that sort of role over time. Uh, my brother went to school for engineering, um, and then I was the I was the artsy kid that went to art school. You, you say you were the the artsy
2: kid. How did that artsiness manifest itself in your childhood, and then throughout school? You like talking Play-Doh, were you talking Legos? What was your What was your You know, what made you an artsy kid?
1: Um, I like I'm, both my brother and I would play with stuff like Play-Doh and Legos and all of that. So like that was never a thing that would call me out as being the artsy kid. I think the things that really stood out was the fact that I, I, I would just draw all the time. And that was the thing that I really loved doing. And at some point, I got kind of good at it, um, at least for you know being like a kid. Uh, and um, the one thing that really stuck out when I was growing up was that my, my parents really wanted my brother to take piano lessons and learn how to play the piano because it was just something that they thought would have been valuable for him in life. Um, and he did the piano lessons and he hated them absolutely hated them like he can appreciate music and he understands a lot that goes into music but he just he's not one to be able to Play it uh, to be able to create music any of that um, So he would oftentimes come home very frustrated from that um, and at home we had an electric organ it was a, a two-tier electric organ and it was the the same one that was used in my parents wedding uh, so there was a lot of nostalgia around it, and it was just like uh, it, it was—it uh, was really nice to have in the house. Uh, so he would slap down his lesson books uh, on the bench of the organ, and I remember there was a few times where, like, I I would like cowardly sneak and like try to like read them and see what sort of songs were in there, which were all the fun ones, like the Star Wars theme, the Flintstones <laughs> theme, like all you know, like the really cool Various songs. themes. Yeah. Um, so as a kid, like that, sound, like I wanted to try to kind of figure out how to play the. Th- the, the Flintstones theme. Um, and at the, it was either the front or the back of the book. It gave you just like a quick rundown of which keys are what, uh, and then to be able to, how to just basically read music um, like sheet music. Uh, so while my brother's taking lessons, I ended up teaching myself how to be able to play piano or in that case, organ. Um, I kind of just did it in secret, but uh, I like, i it's Pretty obvious that if you're playing music in a house, somebody's going to hear it other than yourself. So, especially if it's on an organ, that's not really a nice, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, private time instrument, yeah. And like it had volume control and everything on it, so like I, I always, always put it at the bottom, lowest, like the just the quietest level that I could have, just so I can hear it. Uh, but that was uh, still not, uh, you know, it wasn't a, a perfect thing. Uh, to be able to keep secret of, and uh, so everybody kind of noticed, and I noticed that my brother got very frustrated, because he was going to lessons, and he was having a hard time with it, and um, got to the point where he, like, I think he was just angry, because it was a difficult thing for him to try to grasp onto, and I just kind of picked it up, and I didn't need help, and uh, it was something I enjoyed, but and I couldn't understand why there was a the difference, because I was so young at the time, uh, but over time, uh, I kind of like i started to feel guilty about it because um uh specifically because it was just like it was such a difficult thing for him and uh like I, I didn't want him to feel like he was inadequate or or just like not talented or anything like that because not everybody has to be able to be good at music um so once see dan you are just like matt and i you're feeling guilty because you're so great yeah Matt and i feel <laughs> it all the time yeah
0: <laughs> oh, I don't feel guilty about it. I'm just great. But
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so I understand. Yeah. So uh, I ended up stop stopping playing uh, after some time. Actually, I just I, I kind of gave up music as a kid for a long for the longest time, which I like totally supplemented with time playing video games and uh, drawing and, and all of that. So it's not like I was really upset by not playing. I just found other stuff to do as a kid. But uh, I know you didn't give it up for too long,
0: because when I met you, I think the two things we had in common were that we were, well, maybe three things. Mm-hmm. We were designers in a design class. That was obvious. Yeah. We were kind of internet nerds. And also, you liked metal bands, and you were in metal bands.
1: Yep. Yeah. So, How did that all start? Uh, so, it got to, I think I was... Wait, can we can we rewind a little bit? I still yeah, have yeah. questions about younger
2: Dan. We'll, we'll, I think we can okay. get to that, okay. But, okay. Okay. Um, if you don't mind, Matt, I have questions about just, uh, I feel like... Most people that I know were kind of a certain type of person in like elementary school and early middle school, then a certain type of person like during puberty. And this is where you kind of slot into one of those middle school, high school archetypes, you know, mm-hmm. you become like a certain type of person, possibly. Uh, I'm curious to know, Dan, like what what type of kid
1: were you, but both before and after that magical transition? Oh, yeah. So when I was a, a much younger kid, I was very, very quiet. And very very anxious uh, i I didn't want to do anything wrong um and I didn't want to upset anybody and also didn't want to be like called out in class or anything. I kind of just wanted to be able to keep to myself so I was just like a very quiet kid and and the most that I would do is or the the most I would branch out of that would be to um like either hang out with like a small group of friends that I had or to uh um I guess, like, play baseball, that was another thing that kind of, like, let me step out of my comfort zone. And uh, another thing which you guys were just talking about, uh, like, I would go to the uh, tabletop and card store and play in tournaments, uh, either playing Magic. or there was another game that was based around the Lord of the Rings series called Middle Earth. Uh, and then Star Wars also had a collectible card game. So I'd, I would actually go into tournaments and play those or even just kind of play, like, it was kind of like free play sort of thing. Um, so those th- those are the things that I tended to do as a younger kid. Uh, once I hit the, the puberty phase, then I guess that's where my badass came out, uh, because that's when uh, I started talking to my parents about trying to get a guitar. Um, so one Christmas, uh, finally had enough money saved up from Christmas and kind of just saving in general to be able to get an acoustic guitar, which was it was 150 bucks. It wasn't nearly the greatest thing in the world, but it was like it was mine. I could play it. Um, so from that point on, I, I focused a lot more on music and kind of became, uh, like in middle school, I was kind of like a hippie in a way I was like, I, I started mm-hmm. to like branch out and, um, uh, become like, I was like really laid back. I wasn't, I didn't let myself be as anxious as I was, uh, as a, as a kid or a younger kid and, um, just kind of wanted to play music and just kind of like hang out. Uh, but then by the time I hit high school, that's, that's when the whole metal side came out, uh, because I, uh, I started to feel like I wanted to get better at what I was doing with music and metal was one of those, um, uh, musical genres where it was often encouraged to kind of like push the limits of what you could do or what you c- could accomplish, which was like, how fast can you play this very complicated thing? That was a very, very, uh, prevalent thing with uh, a couple of bands I was in. Uh, so there was that, and uh, I—that's it, when I started to turn into the rebellious kid, of um, like you know sneaking out at night and just like not wanting to keep up with curfew, and just like with generals, I just didn't want to obey them, um, mostly because I was in a metal band, so I had to keep my image. But uh, yeah, I, like that's the transition I did. I went from very very quiet to somebody that, um, like, in the high school I was in, uh, we didn't have. Really strict clicks, which was very odd for our our school. Everybody just kind of got along, but yeah, I was one of the guys in the band, so I was kind of like not a cool kid, but somebody looked like, Oh, yeah, he's in a band, he's kind of cool.
0: Were Uh, you actually rebellious and breaking any rules, or was that just the perception of you as the metal kid?
1: Um, no, I did. I there was actually a a bunch of times where I, I had a system. Uh, which I totally got caught on, so I, I I couldn't really do it anymore. Where like I would um, like I had my own bedroom, I would uh, pop open the the screen on a window and actually sneak out the window because it was on the first floor, and then go and hang out with people until you know like odd you know odd hours of the morning. Uh, but I totally got caught, so I couldn't really do that anymore. Uh, even though I I tried anyways. Um, and were your parents like the kind of
2: parents that were like, oh, you scamp, get back in that bed, you know it's past curfew, or were they the kind of parents that were like, Jesus Christ, we have a drug addict, psycho son on our hands, what the fuck are we gonna do?
1: Oh, yeah, one of the times I was caught, that was the first time I heard my mom drop an F-bomb. And <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man,
2: that's a moment in your life, isn't it? Oh, no, I, <laughs> I
1: still remember the time of day, I remember the look on her face, I remember like everything, because that scared the living shit out of me. Um, so that I think she did that kind of just fixed it. So it was, it was serious
2: in the family. It wasn't like, uh, you know, oh it wasn't yeah, like a slap on the wrist kind of thing. People were, were legitimately upset at you for this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think the big point of it is that, like I said, my, my family's big on planning and everything is just kind of like thought out before it's executed, like all that sort of stuff. And nothing's kind of just done on a whim. So with a son going out in the middle of nowhere in the <laughs> middle of the night, um, it broke all the plans, so a lot of factors came into their minds, like, is he dead? Like, is he, like, um, uh, like, on drugs? Or, like, what terrible thing is going on that we don't know because he's not here? Uh, so... Were it,
0: you dead or on drugs?
1: Nope. either. So...
0: Totally unjustified.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, like, because it's just an unknown and something that's not planned, it, it like, it scared them, so of course they're gonna get angry because they're scared. Oh, no, I understand. Oh, That'd yeah. make fun of you. But, yeah, uh... Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I understand. I'm mocking you. Don't you get it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking like high school now. You're you're in the middle. You're breaking rules. You're sneaking out. You're making your mom say the <laughs> F-bomb. Mm-hmm. You monster of a child you. Um, I, I'm curious to know what the kind of uh, the college process was like for you. Like when you were getting towards the end of high school, what were the expectations about college? Where did you really want to go? What were your kind of parameters what were the variables you were considering what was that process like for you
1: oh yeah I, well i mean with somebody who is uh in the mindset of rebellion i didn't i didn't really care about college actually there was a thought in my mind to not even bother and just kind of go on tour and just try to hope that everything works out and i get a good uh record label deal and i could just kind of coast on that until i'm old and just kind of like own a recording studio so so real question uh-huh. how serious was that thought um, like, if I had to make a decision between going to college and that, like, that was definitely, like, a 35% out of 100. Like, there was still 65% I was going to go to college anyways. How many of your friends actually did that? Uh, uh most of the guys in the bands I was in tried. Um, yeah. and nobody has succeeded. So, there's that. <laughs> you didn't know that guy from Swift? I thought that guy from Swift had the, uh... Raleigh-based studio or whatever. Oh yeah, no, Jamie King. Um, he recorded one of our demos, so we knew him in that regard. Um, and yeah, obviously he's successful because he's done a bunch of awesome albums. Um, but he, uh, like, he was successful in that sense. Um, but all the guys I was actually in a band with, and all the people that we played shows with, like, nobody actually made it. The only band that got anywhere was, uh, one called Sanctity that they were in Asheville, and they had like one album that uh came out on i think it was ferret or something like that so that you know they mm-hmm. got some decent coverage but that those were the only guys it is funny how similar backgrounds are yeah. but anyway this is about you and not me <laughs> so so you
0: did go to college though but i know you didn't go to scad first
1: yeah yeah so um why not well i you artsy kid well so in high school actually freshman year i started learning how to make websites because it, it seemed fun um so I one of the first electives I took in high school uh was be able to do was web design. So we learned how to do HTML and CSS and code in ActionScript 1 in Flash 4 um, which was <laughs> a
0: skill you use to this day.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like I had a blast doing it. Uh but once I started going through in high school more and more, uh there was all the the requisite uh electives which was very odd that you had to take. Um it was like you had to take that kind of class, but you had choices of which which kind. Um So once I got towards, I think it was sophomore and junior year, I took computer science courses. Uh, My brother was going to school for computer science. I thought that was the sort of thing that I could do. um, And I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, So I kind of focused on that. And even in that class, um, I had a wonderful teacher, uh, Norma Hill. I'm never going to forget her uh, because there was a curriculum that was given by whatever portion of like the, the county school system or like however high it went. Uh, that they had to teach these certain things but she pushed us to kind of like zoom through that as best as we can and as fast as we can so that we can use our extra time to build video games in the same class oh yeah so um the the first language i learned in there was pascal and in there i learned or kind of like built um like a two-player version of pong on the pc Um, so like somebody would be on the keyboard, somebody would be on the mouse so that you could have two people playing on the same screen. And I did dumb stuff. Like every time that, uh, the ball hit one of the paddles, the speed would increment by one until it got so fast that, um, the ball would actually go through the paddle. Uh, and then somebody would get a point, but, uh, you know, like I did that. And then when I was learning C++, I, I, um, was working on a space shooter, kind of like a Galaga or something like that. So it, like that seemed really fun to me. So I thought that by going to school for computer science at college, that would be kind of like that would be fun to me because of course when you go for computer science, you're going to do nothing but build video games and not work on bugs for the rest of your life.
0: What was the first school?
1: Uh the first school that I went to was uh University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Um it's a whole series of schools like there's Chapel Hill, um Wilmington, and I think Asheville and then Greensboro. So I went there. Uh, it definitely wasn't my first choice. I wanted to go to NC State because they had a fantastic engineering school, and they still do. I just didn't have the grades for it because I wasn't motivated to get good grades in high school. Like I just couldn't justify it for myself, mostly because I questioned a lot of the stuff that we we're learning in school. Um, so I went to UNCG and uh, started doing computer science. And uh, within the first, like after the first year, I realized that I hated the idea of going for computer science because it was. Much more about logic, it was much colder than uh, just having the joy of like creating something like a video game, and a lot of it was fixing bugs, which seemed really shitty to me. Uh, that, when somebody explained to me I had to do like Cal 3 to be able to get to the degree program, I was like, fuck this, I'm going to find something else to do. <laughs> um, meanwhile, I was still making websites, and even at this point, like I was making a bunch of like flyers and posters and t-shirts for bands, because I was still playing music. And I, I kind of had the idea that, like, if if I could go and keep, like, making stuff like that that's creative, I think that would be really fun. So a year and a half into UNCG, um, I ended up leaving. Uh, I even switched degrees before I I'd, I'd, I'd left, and I found that the art and design program there just wasn't, it wasn't well-funded, like, they they stressed a lot about like fundamentals of art. So like I, I had a class that was two and a half hours long and we learned how to do like draw boxes of perspective and it, it bored the shit out of me. Um, so I ended up leaving and I didn't know where I was going to go after that. Um, so I decided that I wanted to at least keep moving in that general direction, uh, move back mm-hmm. home. And from there, uh, uh, started taking classes at a community college near home um because there was other things i needed to get out of the way like english classes like all these sorts of things that are just required for most degrees and i figured that uh, i could just keep myself busy also work at the same time and figure out where i'm gonna go so uh, leaving
2: leaving college i feel like without a concrete plan for what to do next i know in some families would be perceived as like uh, a unmitigated disaster did you feel like uh, your family was shocked and awed and felt you had failed or did you feel like your family was just like understanding and supportive and of you know you're gonna have to find your way and that was fine, or like what was the sort
1: of what was the feeling in the room when this happened? So this is actually I'm glad that you asked that because this was a point in time where things changed really dramatically, uh, in the family. Uh when I was growing up, like uh dad was very strict. He wanted to make sure that we were getting the best grades and that we were gonna have we're gonna do everything that we could to have the most opportunities that we could in life. Like that's that's the whole reason why he was tough on us. And that's why mom defended him on a lot of that stuff. It's because we he just wanted us to not have anything get in the way of us with whatever we wanted to do in life no matter if it was a job or whatever and um uh so he was very strict and he was just like no this is clear-cut this is the only way it's going to go um and once uh once i Left UNCG, like I, I didn't have the best grades, and uh, it was going to be tough for me to try to go anywhere else at that point, uh, just kind of based off of where I was at. I was not a great student, I was a terrible student. Uh, and I still remember to this day that he sat me down and we were alone in a room, and you know, he was talking about my options. And this was like one of the first times where he was talking to me entirely as an adult and said, This is where you're at. Um, here's what I think you could do. Ultimately, you have to make the call um but you're not in a great place right now and uh kind of like you know he had this whole like come to jesus moment about it and i like that i still remember to this day that i just broke down right in front of him and because i didn't know what i was going to do and i didn't know how to make that sort of decision on my own uh because it was very very heavy and it was very expensive you know because school is not cheap and you know when you have not not good uh not a great GPA. You have fewer options. So, uh, I felt like I was actually just kind of done and I didn't really have any place that I could go to. Um, so that's when he, he turned into the different kind of dad that he is today. And he, uh, really just did what it took to make sure that like, I felt like I was going to be okay and that, uh, everything is going to work out and that no matter what the decision was, they were going to be behind it 100%. Um, so that was definitely one of those days where I kind of grew up a little bit. Um, So they helped me out and they were okay with the idea of, you know, me moving back home and still trying to get some credits in. But gosh darn it. Yeah, I was going to work because I was going to help pay the bills. (laughs) Uh, So I did. What'd you go do? Oh, at first I was working at a few different um, uh, community centers around town. Uh, I had a friend that like him and I used to book shows together. Um, so like be able to work with him and kind of work with some other folks that were really nice. And I've met them before. I was <clears> like, I could have a job like that. That's fine. It's not the greatest paying thing. It's not like the most glamorous thing I could be doing, but Hey, you know, like I'm making money. Uh, so I did that for a while. Uh, and then by chance, another guy that was, you know, in one of the bands around town, uh, he didn't play so much anymore, but he called me one night and he said, Hey, uh, the Apple store is opening up. And like we have a few openings and I know that you really love Apple. So like, do you would you want to come work here? And I was like, Rob, are you fucking kidding me? That sounds awesome. <laughs> so um I ended up getting a job there uh while I was still going to school. Um gave up the the community college ones and um it was great because I started right before the first iPhone came out. Uh and just kind of working there was a huge experience, uh, because it was a very different uh, kind of Apple store than what it is today. It's actually declined a lot um, for a whole lot of reasons. But that was even if it, even though it was a retail job, and even though I wasn't there for too long, it's still in my books. It's one of the best jobs I've ever had because uh, everybody was very warm and inviting. And the, the whole experience was like you you get to be there uh, rather than it just be a paycheck that you're you're trudging through um so yeah um that's what sort of job that i had uh, and at some point in the middle of that i i got fed up with having to go to community college i wanted to figure out where to go next i had a really good friend uh lori shipley she's a phenomenal illustrator uh, phenomenal designer um she recommended that i go to the school that she went to which is the savannah college of art and design um, so I looked into it and I got immediately full of anxiety because I looked at how bad the tuition was <laughs> and I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding. I find I like if it's a really good school, I don't Maybe I'll think about it. So I had a few different options, but I kept going back to wanting to go there. Like I, I visited the campus, did the whole tour, like same thing that everybody else does. And it just felt like the place I should be at, because it felt like there was so much opportunity, like there was just so many resources there. And it was like in a format that felt good for me, because um, it was less around, like with the design stuff, it was less around the artsy stuff, and more of like, this is stuff like design that's supposed to be made, and stuff, something that's supposed to be produced, and something that's actually solving problems. And that felt really good to me. Um, Actually, I don't even know, you didn't even mention, when when was the first time that even became an
0: option to you, the idea of design or graphic design or whatever you were trying to do outside of... Was it web design that got you in?
1: Yeah, no, no, web design was uh, specifically what got me in. Um, So when I was doing it in high school, it felt like... I didn't, I I honest to God, didn't know that was a job. I thought that was just a thing that people got to do for fun. Um, Yeah. So I was very, very sheltered when it came to design stuff. Uh, So like when people were talking about design this and that uh, at scad like i was i, I, I was writing notes because i didn't know any of this um <laughs> i so, think a lot of
0: people have that experience though like not even knowing a thing is a job until until suddenly later in life it occurs to you that it's possible
1: to make money doing something yeah 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 um so yeah like once i um kind of got to the point where i had decided i did not want to do computer science that's where i started to feel like i wanted to pursue it further um, and I just had to keep stumbling over and over and over because I was still doing freelance work. Uh, so I was still doing like t-shirts and posters and like album art and all this other like band crap, because I kind of made a market for myself that people knew that I would do that. Therefore I could get 50 bucks here or like at most like a hundred bucks there with just mm-hmm. like making stuff for people. Um, and uh, it, like, I I try to keep going forward with that. And then SCAD was when I made the decision to go there, that was where I felt like I could actually have a job doing this. Um, I didn't know how, I didn't know what, I didn't know where I was going to work, but I I figured that if there was a degree pr- program for it, that like somebody's going to hire me. Um, <laughs> so uh, that's where I started to get much more serious about it. Um, and even when I had come to that decision, uh, in that point in time, uh, I was building much more elaborate websites. Like I had, I had, um, created my own cms which is very very rudimentary uh back then it was like you could post blog posts and and images for image galleries and like you know very basic things like yeah um so like i i felt like i was kind of good to go and i could i had enough where i could go to a school like that and not look like a complete moron especially because i'm going to be years older than a lot of people that are starting out at the same point that i am so you know i put in my portfolio stuff and this this Right here started uh, my my general disposition for the school. Uh, so I put in all my portfolio stuff. And for people who don't know about SCAD, um, there's an opportunity, f- there's a lot of opportunities for scholarships. One of them being around your portfolio. If your portfolio is just mm-hmm. that amazing, has like that much potential, you actually could get uh, a bit of a co- cut off your tuition, which is fantastic. I um, actually think, if I remember correctly, the
0: Almost everything was a portfolio based scholarship wasn't it? If you didn't mm-hmm. if you wanted to go from inside the school
1: and not uh, at some sort of outside source. Yeah. Didn't they only offer portfolio based scholarships? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um there was a few other ones though but it was based off of like they were wanting to be able to provide for minorities and like very like mm-hmm. right. you know like very basic things that every college should be doing. Um but the portfolio one was up for anybody and I thought well, fuck this. I've been making websites for years. and I've been making t-shirts and like, this is real design stuff. I'm going to put it all on a CD because that's the format that they want. I'm going to send it in and I'm going to get money off tuition, which is going to make it slightly more affordable to go. Um, weeks went by, finally got a response back and they uh, they basically said like, well, we were looking for more artwork. Um, this is all just kind of like websites and t-shirts and stuff. So we don't have any scholarship available available for you um so that started my whole feeling for them that I was like well I'm going to design school for a design degree and I put design work in my portfolio and that wasn't enough um so at that point I like I had already decided in my brain that I was just a shitty designer because I couldn't even get a scholarship for it um, but they accepted me, um, and uh, it was uh, honestly based on a contingency that I made a certain GPA within the first like few quarters, and then I was allowed to stay there. Um, so yeah, I had, I had left, um, went down there, uh, started taking classes, and that's when I started to finally turn into a good student. Uh, because I, I honestly God cared about all the classes I was in. Uh, everything was very thrilling. Everybody was excited. Um, and I got to make stuff all the time. So I did probably the dumb thing, which, uh, they advised me not to do. Like they said, you should take one studio. And then I think it was like two other, like non-studio courses mm-hmm. because the studios are supposed to be much more intense. Uh, so they wanted to balance everybody out to make sure that they didn't get stressed out. And I think at least two quarters, I had three studios. Um, Mm. For each quarter because I just I loved it and I love working all the time Um, So that's That's really where it uh, got to me Where um, I was just Thrilled uh, to be able to do Design work and all the the things I didn't Know existed like typography was Barely a thing for me Like I had just learned about Helvetica right before I showed up which is saying (laughs) something Um, So just Being able to like learn all this stuff existed And that I could like be around it all day Was huge
0: when when you first got into it, what were your annoying things that you would do? Who were your guys or or girls like the the people you looked up to when you first got there? You know when you you first learn about design, mm-hmm. you go through that phase where you're like, I'm going to bother everybody and tell them what font everything is. Yeah. My favorite guy in the whole world is now Massimo Vignelli. I think that uh I'm going to I'm going
1: to point out all the things that are wrong in the menu now that we're out to the restaurant. Yeah. Uh what were your annoying things? Um Well, I mean, this goes right back to the whole inexperience and just complete ignorance uh, aspect of things. Uh, I didn't really know who to look towards. Um, Mm -hmm. I just didn't know who was, like, the big people. And and honestly, I didn't really do that much research anyways. I was just, like, I was dumb and excited. So if it (laughs) was design stuff, like, I didn't care who the fuck was talking to me about it. I just, like, it was just fun. And, yeah, like, for a good portion of the time, I would bitch about menus and I would bitch about all these sorts of things on the internet. And I was that guy. I was like, I'm a web designer. Therefore, why are you putting Ariel before Helvetica in your CSS stack? That is dumb. Do it the other way around. Cause Helvetica is better. Even though like a small percentage of people are going to see it anyways, I don't fucking care. It's better. And uh, yeah, that was the kind of guy I was. And, and I think a lot of people at the time when, when Helvetica came out, I was just like, uh, I was completely blown away by everybody who was in it. Like w- when it got to the point where, uh, like, Vignelli was talking about how everything was, like, supposed to be, like, this way and there was no other way around it. I watched that and I said, You are totally right, Italian guy. <laughs> I really like you. And then when it got to the point with uh, Speakerman, I was like, No, you're fucking right too. I- this is very awkward. Um, so, like, I just remembered that. Like there was a portion of the time where I thought that modernism was, was making a comeback and that was the way it was gonna be. And then like six months later I thought that Speaker Moon was totally right and that everything had to be had, had a humanist touch to it and uh kinda of went down a bunch of rabbit holes in a very short amount of time, uh, before I kinda of came to terms with the idea that like no one person is right and that I could just kinda of appreciate people for their their quirks. And don't have to get too settled on saying, like, oh, yeah, this is the design god, and I'm only going to, like, listen to
2: them. Well, I'm curious to know, as you started to get into design and got more interested in, started pursuing it, you know, in college, I'm curious to know what is the thing that you've made, creative things specifically, Mm -hmm. in your life that you're, like, most proud of? Hmm. I don't know, nothing? (laughs) (laughs) Um, do, you, do you really feel that way? You mentioned uh, many minutes ago that that's when you started feeling that you were no good at design, and I feel like you're many times self-deprecating on the show. Oh, yeah. Do you Are you really not proud of anything you've made?
1: I, I'm proud of very few things, and they're all for very different reasons. Um, if I'm thinking back to before uh, pre-SCAD, uh, there was this one thing I got to do where uh, it's for a band that nobody knows anymore, except for Matt. Um, uh, it was Chiodos. Uh, oh
0: yeah, I do remember
1: Chiodos Yeah, so booked a show uh, With them on the bill And a few other um, like Comfortable names Like different bands And I got to talking to a few of those guys That night and I was like, oh I totally want to do a shirt for you guys And they go, fuck yeah, let's do it Got in touch with their agent Or manager or whatever it was at the time um, And got the chance to make A shirt for them So like, I did the thing, I sent it over They're like, this is great We're gonna pay you like close to nothing. It was like twenty five bucks, and I said that doesn't matter because I just made a motherfucking t-shirt for Chiodos. Like I'm on top of the world right now, Uh, and I assumed it was like it was gonna just be on their wall of merch while they go on tour, Um, which I was like, even that was that that was huge for me because I kind of felt like a band that big was had some of my work on their wall, Um, and there was one day that I was uh, on my way to work at the community center and I had gotten some food over uh, like at a food court in the mall and I decided to stop by Hot Topic for some reason. Um, and I walked in, had my bag of food, uh, like playing on my cell phone. And I looked up on the wall and my t-shirt was on the wall. And uh, that blew me away because I thought I don't care how little I made on this shirt, I'm probably going to spend that much paying for the t-shirt in the store. But something I made is in a retail store in the mall, and like to me, I was like very few people I know could say that. Um, so it was like that was a really big deal for me. And even though like I'm not proud of the the work now, and it's just a t shirt, like that was that was a very big moment for me back then. Um, so that was definitely one of those, um, uh, I guess, design projects that was nice. Uh, there was. Um, like when I in the middle of going to SCAD, uh, I also worked at a really small startup back in North Carolina that was like our our whole shtick is that it's uh the YouTube for gamers. So it was like being able to post um videos of gameplay on the internet and be able to share them with people and comment and stuff. Um and I got control of everything. So I got to design all the pages, I designed features, uh, got to work with engineers to like build all this stuff. So um that was another project that like I was proud of. Um, not like there was some stuff I'm still proud of that I made like user experience decisions on, even though I didn't, I had no idea what user experience was. Um, I made things that actually were usable and it was fun. And, um, and it was just a big accomplishment because being that young and being able to have that much sway in something was huge. Uh, and then over the years, I kind of felt like it waned on stuff that I was just genuinely proud of. Um, uh, A lot of it was freelance work or doing uh, like small agency work back when I was uh, working at a really small agency in North Carolina. Uh, And then I was like working for corporations and stuff. So it's not like you could say this whole thing is is me or uh, like even a part of this is me. It was always a team decision. So um, it got a bit more diluted in the sense that like uh, I it wasn't something that, just me could be proud of. So I didn't feel like I could be like uh, selfish and just be proud of it just for the sake of me. I kind of feel like that's where I stand that there was a lot of stuff up front that helped me get confidence in the stuff that I was doing. Uh, And yes, I I think today I still have a lot of self deprecating humor, uh, but it's more on the side that I I know that I've gotten good at making that sort of joke. So that's why I keep doing it because it gets people to laugh. Uh, but I've also become very confident in the stuff that I can accomplish. It's just none of that sort of stuff is pretty, or something that is like easy to put into a portfolio and have people understand what it is. A lot of it is very functional. A lot of it is you know around HTML and CSS, so it's it's harder to gawk about. Well, the other thing, I mean, tell me if this is true of you, but like.
0: I've, you know, in the past five years or so, I've done some pretty exciting stuff. I can tell it to other people, and they could get excited about it, but I don't think I'm ever going to reach the level of excitement as when I was, like, 16 or 17, and I designed an album, and then I saw it in a store or something, yeah. yeah and it has nothing to do with the scale. It's just, like, your first thing, the first time you get to see it, I don't think I'll ever reach that level of, like, oh, my God, I just made it. I just did it.
1: I did a thing. It can never get better than this. Oh, yeah. That's it's
0: true. It can't. <laughs> like You can't have that moment a second time.
1: Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, like, the older I've gotten, the more, um, the term I use for it is tired. I've just gotten a <laughs> lot more tired. Um, when I was at Fit Mob, we were having to just do a lot of stuff really fast, uh, which yeah. I feel like was an accomplishment because I got to test the limits of what I could do uh, in, in a very speedy environment. I never want to do that again, but like I'm glad that i I figured that out at some point in time. Um and it, like the reason I bring that up is because like you would do stuff, you want to get it before there was an embargo for something to end up on TechCrunch or like one of these other like uh whatever, like startup driven tech sites. And like if it was a younger version of me, I would have gotten really excited to say like, oh my God, we're on TechCrunch or we're on like giga ohm or like anything like this but when it was done i was like at least we hit the fucking deadline i don't care i'm gonna go home and sleep because i just don't give a shit right now uh so it's just like i think that uh was definitely something i went through uh in the past years which is definitely not the case anymore um that i just got so tired and i got so worn out of just working um and not seeing and not letting myself get excited about that sort of thing. Um, that it just became like I became very pessimistic about design in general Uh, like it just it turned entirely into a job
2: so I hope it's not too tacky a question but I I also want to know we're getting we're getting you know 50 minutes almost in I'm curious to know what your aspirations are for the last three quarters of your life uh being generous, you know, assuming you live 220. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've eaten way too many goddamn Twinkies for that. Man, God, we're a third of the way through our lives. That's fucking weird. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm curious to know, like, you know, do, what do you want to do what you're doing now forever? Uh, if not, do you know what you would like to do? Do you have any sort of out there dreams or ideas of what you might like to do regardless of practicality or, like, what do
1: you want to accomplish? mm that's change over time. So back when I was first starting out, I honest to God wanted to be like another being yelly where I was like a highly respected designer. I had my own studio. Like everybody just thought that I was the best designer ever. Like I I definitely wanted that. Uh, but as the years had gone by that became less and less of a dream that I actually wanted. Um, so that kind of wanes into just wanting to own my own studio. Like that was a big goal of mine and just be able to work until I was 70. Um, and then the the older I got, the more I wanted to like retire when everybody else retires. Um, and how I feel right now is that I honestly don't think about it um, because I, I don't think I really want a plan right now. I enjoy what I do right now. Um, I absolutely love my job. I actually, I still have yet to have a bad day there. Um, so I like I've under the mentality that I'm not thinking about trying to go for management or like director level or this like this specific title and the specific pay I just I don't care right now um but I think that uh really my goals have shifted away from uh career stuff like the only thing that I really focus on now is that like uh, you know I'm I'm about to hit 30 before I know it um literally it's like a month and a half away and I care less about design being the focus and much more about like being able to settle down and like have a family and I get the point where that could be the thing that I worry about every day and not about like shapes and colors and code. Um, And to be clear, my question was not what design thing do you want to do?
2: I was asking open-ended, like what are... What are your big aspirations? And it sounds like family is a big one.
1: Oh yeah, yeah no the the dream and early retirement as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, I mean like if I can retire at sixty five, um, that's that's ideal for me. Uh, if I could retire at thirty eight, that would be okay. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> if I can afford that, I'll take. No, it. No, I like I don't want to do that because I know that I would get bored. Uh, I know that when well, I the hit sixty five, retired is you can do whatever you
2: want. You don't have to worry about getting paid for it, so yeah. you don't have to be bored. You can do literally anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's a very good point. Um but I, like it, it very much shifted from career stuff to you know like uh be able to have a family, like have two kids and have like a house and uh like some sort of a car that my kids aren't going to hate me for. Um or like hate like really hate if I sell it. Like that would be a goal. Um and that's that's really where I'm at. Uh so like it actually kind of feels nice that the more years that have gone by, it's less about trying to be the best of whatever industry and just kind of be like it's gone from being the best designer to trying to be like the best dad like that's the thing i want to be in however many years Um, and that to me is actually much more thrilling and a lot more rewarding than design awards or or respect in a field so you're saying you went from your early to mid-20s of wanting
2: to conquer the whole world, mm-hmm. to uh, approaching thirty and maybe thinking about settling down—it sounds like a very unconventional path. <laughs> I don't know anybody that's had that experience before.
0: I don't want to skip over the the part where you graduate from college. Well, you get married, you graduate from college. Mm-hmm. You, I think, you go back to North Carolina, but then you move to San Francisco.
1: Mm. So uh, I got to hear a little bit of that. So a little bit of a detail. We have, we've actually talked about this before, but it was a long time ago. Um, I ended up not graduating from SCAD. In fact, I still have two classes that I would have to complete and able to get a degree, although like degree requirements can change and that that could also change, but um no, when I was at SCAD, um the girlfriend I had at the time had uh we've been together for years. Uh her father passed away while I was there. Uh and that was kind of like the last person that she had that she could depend on. Um so uh I finished up that quarter at SCAD. And then promptly moved back home uh, to be able to take care of her. So uh, there was a good long time where I actually had a full-time job, like a desk job, um, while doing school full-time. Um, so, yeah, like I got to that point, And then over the f- next few years, uh, yeah, we did get married um, and got to the point where I just couldn't do school anymore. So... Um, just kind of focused on doing work and like actually overworking myself to make sure that I can make up for not having a, de- a degree. Cause that was a, you know, that is a strong requirement in, uh, tech stuff in North Carolina is that they want to see a degree and, uh, it's much different over here where like a lot of people look at your portfolio and just your general skill set So that happened. Um, and, uh, I got to some sort of thing in my brain where i didn't want to be in north carolina anymore um a whole lot of reasons uh be it like it's not that big of a uh a tech scene there's not a lot of opportunities there's a shitload of racism uh like normal stuff but uh i kind of wanted to look around so i yeah you know, i brought up the idea and had the the choices in my brain to either go to new york city san francisco or seattle uh basically the, the other three corners of the nation uh that I, I think I could find a good job in. Um uh and it was very odd because after I started talking about this uh with uh my wife at the time, uh had somebody hit me up from like this like social discovery uh startup in San Francisco. And I was like, well, this is just fucking fate. Um so uh went over there, did the interviews and I kind of felt like Once I had been here for a day or two and had talked to them and just kind of like had that prospect in my brain, I thought either I could um, push a lot harder and try to find something in the other two cities and try to balance it out and, you know, do all these like checks and balances. I could also just kind of take the jump and just go with it and see where it ends up. Um, So like it was that December that I had the idea in my head to maybe move to one of these three cities and I moved to San Francisco that March. Uh, so it was a very quick thing. Um, and since being here, like I know that like I, you know, it's a great city. I love it. Um, it's, there's a lot of stuff to do here. There's a lot of places to work. I have worked at at least half of them at this point, <laughs> um, but I also know that I'm not going to be here forever. Uh, and that's been a really good feeling to kind of come to terms with that. And that I'm not like bound to one city. Um, so yeah I, I guess the uh, the TLDR of that chunk is that uh, yeah like I never ended up finishing school I ended up just working my ass off and now I'm in a completely different city with a completely different set of circumstances and it's actually not too bad
2: i, mean, I the, the other kind of general question i have here which i guess now that we're at now you could potentially answer uh dan mm-hmm. is i'm curious to know like what you stand for like like what what your values are what you think uh you know you can if you had to summarize like the things that drive you or that you care about
1: what are what are those things oh gosh that's such a vague question like it, is there anything that's <laughs> jumping out like it, is it like where where are you coming from that well i mean I, I, you've talked a little bit
2: about you know wanting to have a family mm-hmm. uh and you've talked very little bit about your family um i, I guess i'm curious like uh you know g- if everything else um was removed if there were no other factors yeah. uh you let's just say you have a day where there's nothing to do um w- what do you, what do you do like, like what is your kind of uh what do you do with that time
1: jesus i wouldn't know what to do with myself um yeah because uh, whenever i do have the opportunity or uh uh, I I honestly, God, don't know how I'd, I would tackle that. Uh, like, obviously, I have things I do when I have free time. Like, I, I play video games or I try to work on music, even though that's very frustrating most days. Or um, the rare chance where I get to work my, with my hands and, like, build furniture or something like that. Those are just, like, things that are enjoyable to me uh, that also kind of just fill time. So I, I, I don't... I don't know if I really think much bigger than that right now. Uh which is also very telling of me, I guess. Um, is there anything that like you really want to dig into with that or uh no, I'm also interested in in like
2: rituals, like uh what rituals you have now that uh you value.
1: If that's a thing you're
2: interested in discussing.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I used to have a lot more rituals um a couple of years ago, uh, which I've broken quite a few of them i used to be very 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 particular about everything in my apartment and like everything that i was living around so uh, the furniture i chose like the way that it was uh displayed in the apartment uh how clean i kept everything like i would dust constantly and clean things like every week um so that was actually a very strong ritual where everything just had to be kind of perfect almost like if it was a um uh one of those uh, it, like almost like a, a, something that we find at an Ikea store before it gets all fucked up by the kids that like go and play in like these like set up little rooms where it's supposed to be like just the perfection. Like it's uh, like it like almost walking into a dream home that nobody lives in. That's, that's how I try to keep everything. Um, other rituals, um, like I was very particular about like how my desk was set up. Like it just, everything was very particular all the time. And if it broke the process, then I would get upset about it. Um, so, uh, you know, there was, that was, uh, had a strong connection with anxiety, which had a lot of, um, yeah, up until probably, uh, like earlier this year. Um, and then also like things around depression, like we've talked about that too. So it was just the combo where everything kind of had to like stay in its place or else like if the system was broken, everything was going to fall apart. Uh, but as far as rituals now, like I, I actually don't adhere to it much. Like my place is kind of messy and that's fine. And I don't, uh, I don't have the same ritual that I used to do my laundry every Sunday at a very particular time. Like I just do it whenever it's needed. So like, I I just don't have that anymore. Um, and it's like, now I know what it feels like to be a
0: real human being. (laughs) So I always thought of you as kind of a laid back guy, but more recently, I feel like we've had talks about depression and anxiety and things like that we can cut this out if you don't like it there's the like dan that i feel like the public sees and then there's the dan that struggles with this and is that like are those is that a front that you're putting up for other people are those two genuine things and you're able to separate them is that just like one is that one is external
1: one is internal oh yeah um well and i guess i can go i'll go more in detail into this one because i what I found is it's beneficial for other folks I've talked about it with privately. So I think it's actually mm-hmm. good to talk about. Um, no, I had been going through depression for probably about two solid years. It might've been more, it might've been less, but that's kind of where I feel like it landed. Um, and that had a tight association with anxiety. Like I, I had been anxious before that, but it had built up substantially when I was going through depression. Um, and like People have gotten a lot of context clues around, like, why that happened. Long story short, a lot of it was around uh, the previous relationship I was in. Um, But uh, the way that I had tackled that a lot of times was that there were two very different... There was actually three different versions of Dan. There would be the nice guy that everybody thinks is really laid back, very casual, like, easy to get along with. Um, There was the guy that was at work that was angry. All the time. Um, Like I had a raised voice. I was very just like negative about everything. And then there was the other guy that was just to myself. Uh, And that was the guy who was very closed off and very uh, hypercritical of myself Um, and uh, had the disposition that everything was wrong. And that was the way it was supposed to be. Um, So over time, um, like when I had different jobs and when I moved to San Francisco, I realized I didn't have to be angry all the time. Uh, at work. Uh, so that anger got shuffled around to different parts. So yeah, I probably wasn't the greatest person to hang out with at times. And, you know, it, it, that, that was, it was just the way it was. Um, and as depression became more and more ramped up, um, then that's where I actually, uh, I realized that I couldn't, um, keep the, the persona out in public that I was always the laid back guy And always, like, the nice guy. And that was something I actually had a lot of uh, issues trying to control, like, when we first started the show, that I always tried to make sure that I was, like, presentable and always, like, trying to be as cheerful as possible and trying to be, like, as extroverted as I could push. I, I realized that with many of the episodes, I started to get quiet because I felt kind of cornered in myself because I wasn't confident in anything I was saying. Um, I was also very negative about uh, hearing myself talk. So there's very few episodes where I can stand to hear my talk, be- myself talk, because I kind of still feel like I'm a bumbling idiot. Um, and uh, so, I mean, that it progressed more and more and more. Um, and then there were there was a breaking point at some point, and that's something that's not even worth talking about. But. Um, uh, finally had, had addressed that, uh, in a number of ways. And, um, uh, so, I mean, like life is a lot different now and yes, I am actually as laid back and casual about everything as I tend to put on. Um, and, um, it was a big realization that that's just who I always was. And there was a lot of stuff getting into the way of that. So it's kind of nice because, um, yeah, I am like, I feel a lot More casual about things and i don't have to stress about stuff um and that's uh in my opinion a a way better way to live i admire you talking about this stuff
2: even a little bit publicly i think it's uh something that probably helps people yeah yeah legitimately and we can't make any claim to helping people usually on this show so (laughs) yeah um it's uh like
1: something that i i try to preface when i talk about the um, that particular subject is that I can go a lot deeper and that's usually to the point like the only time I do is if somebody else is going through a very similar thing and I need to let them know that they're they're not alone uh, but usually like you just kind of keep it at the TLDR and say this stuff happened here's just some major factors um, obviously not a thing anymore for me but for anybody else like that could be a recurring problem and just the fact that like it's talked about I think is really good um, mm-hmm. so not me too uh,
2: I have a, I have kind of some silly questions here that are not as uh, aspirational, but oh, might say something about, uh, we can do like a speed round at the end maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah let's sure. do that. You want to put the music I, in right these there? These are some questions that I, I, I kind of frequently have conversations with my friends about, and I'm always curious to get people's perspectives. So, so one question is, um, if you could go to the International Space Station, mm-hmm. uh, but you were going to have to stay there for some minimum amount of time for you to go at all, mm-hmm. it's going to be a free trip. Uh, they'll fly you up there. And you get to go see the world from the space station, but you have to stay for X amount of time. The question is, how long is too much time before you're going to refuse to go? Does that make does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I think it once it hits the point of a year, I would want to come back down to the ground. So so you would do a year on the ISS, but if
2: they're like 14 months, you're like, nope, I'll just stay here on Earth forever."
1: ah uh, man if it was 14 months i would still think about it like if they said like a year <laughs> like a year and a half i think at that point yeah it would, it would be but a year would be I, I think my limit until somebody tried to push me okay uh what, what if you could
2: relive any year of your life and uh i'm not talking about like going back with what you know now and like redoing things and fucking up the sort of continuum of time i I mean like just (laughs) what year do you want an opportunity to to re-experience and this can be a calendar year it
1: could be a school year however you define a year okay um my honest answer is that i would relive this year uh the reason i say that is because there are very very dark times and there have been incredibly good times and for me, uh, this year has let me know that I could appreciate both and know that both are gonna happen. Uh, but it has just underscored me as a, an improved person. And I can't think of any other year that I've lived that I've been able to appreciate it to that level. So I would definitely pick this year. You love that thermal shock that going from real bad to real good and back and forth. <laughs> yeah,
2: so like you're hopping out of the uh, you're hopping out of the hot tub and right into the snow. yep. <laughs> <laughs> um so there's that one uh <laughs> i always love having the conversation about animals you could fight but that does not seem <laughs> in the spirit of getting to the bottom to dan episode yeah.
0: no you gotta ask you gotta end with the what what animals are you gonna fight are you gonna t- you gonna ask him the question about like the his weight in cats or something yeah it's my favorite question fine well, we'll, well then it. obviously you have to ask it you well, can't let I that one go i don't know if it actually matters i mean i'm sure i'm sure it doesn't matter silliness. at all all right dan well, here's, well, here's so the question obviously it doesn't matter at all
2: here's here's the question dan i think it says a lot about uh, your perception of the animal kingdom uh-huh. and your own physical abilities. Uh-huh. The question is, which animals uh, in the entire animal kingdom do you feel that you could fight your weight in? Uh, and this means that if you choose to fight something that weighs less than you, say a domestic cat, uh-huh. you're going to have to fight as many of them as it takes to get to your weight. Uh, if you choose to fight something like, you know, uh, an elephant, you got to fight like a baby elephant, right? Like whatever size elephant weighs as much as you weigh. Okay. Um, so, that's the question. What what animals
1: could you fight your weight in and come out on top? Oh man, um, I want to say a wolf. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> yeah, whoa. yeah. Whoa. yeah. out of right. left field. Is, <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ,
2: <laughs> Dude, you couldn't like you could have started with anything. You could yep. and you went with wolf. Yeah, you think you could fight your weight in wolf? Hell yeah
1: wow big, i have that's to bigger really than disagree a regular
0: wolf you know that's bigger than a regular wolf a wolf probably weighs 30 pounds no i have to no, really disagree no, no, no. on this a, man a
1: wolf can probably weigh upwards of like 60 to 80 pounds
0: Oh, they're, okay. They're, so you're gonna have be to over weigh, you have to fight wolves, a two times
2: one But to be clear, at least. there's no way you're fighting a wolf in a. You're gonna you're gonna be so dead. I'm gonna miss you because you're dead.
1: Yeah, but at least I'd be going out swinging and having fun probably until I start dying. <laughs> is
0: that, what, what is that? This is so much about Dan. This is the perfect way to end this, Dan. Okay, Dan. To be uh, honest, Andy and I had this conversation over the weekend, yeah. and I said obviously the worst answer is domestic cat because they could. You'd have to fight so many of them. Have you ever tried to pick up an angry cat? You know how poorly that yeah. can go.
1: No, I've done but it you know, before.
0: You, you definitely picked a worse answer. You absolutely picked a worse answer than domestic yeah. cat.
2: What it's man, wolf? Way more man. badass. Though. You could you could have said hamsters. I mean, you're going to win. It's going to get messy, <laughs> no. but you're going to win. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you could have come with anything, and you decided to go with
1: <laughs> no, wolf. no. This no. This Jesus. boils down to the sort of like human being that you are. Either you could die in a sea of, like, domestic felines, or you could die fighting a goddamn wolf. It sounds like you're the kind of human
2: that doesn't listen to the question. The question was, what (laughs) could you beat in a fight? Not, how would you prefer to die?
1: I mean, if you're going to try to fight a sea of cats, you're going to lose, to Matt's point.
0: Well, yeah, but... That's why I used to think that was the worst answer, but you picked a worst answer.
1: Also, if you guys haven't figured it out, I really just like answering answers like that because it's way more funny.
0: pseudo happy ending time
1: pseudo happy ending time so just to review this is uh either an artist or a piece of artwork or something that has always that that has stuck with me and might always stick with me and be an inspiration is that the context that we're talking about i'm asking for a happy ending that was especially formative to you um i would say it would actually have to be a person um though i had a teacher back at scad uh his name was john rice And, um, he, the thing that's always going to stick with me is that when I took his class, um, I was just very, very much jaded with having to take another drawing class. It was drawing two. Um, so I, I don't think I was very much invested into it until like, I, I figured out the sort of, um, uh, teacher that he was like, he was very encouraging and he was just like, it was, it was just strange because the guides, every time he talked, it just felt like Americana. It's just like he felt like he was this persona of just like this great big thing and just progress and and uh, like optimism and all these wonderful things. So uh, when we were in his studio, uh, he didn't tell you how to draw. He just like let, you know, he set up the still lives, whatever we were going to draw in whatever medium. And he would go around everybody and he would just like give like little hints of things that would just spark something in them to actually make something that was just like much more refined. Um, and he never pushed too hard. Um, he was just very encouraging and oh, just like very open about stuff too. Um, there was this one time in the class that uh, he would um, take groups of the class at a time, like two blocks down from where the studio was uh, to where he lived in his house. And he would give us a tour of the house in like these little groups. Uh, there was one room that had all of his current artwork that he has not sold, uh, which were all like these just wonderful still lifes. Um, and like give us a tour of the house, and then he also uh, had a studio in the back of the house that these gigantic easels. Uh, so he would make these just like magnificent, magnificently large uh, pieces of art. Um, and you he, like, he can't help but come out of that just being really, really inspired and wanting to do that more. And for me to come into his uh, class completely jaded in the idea that I had to keep drawing because I just wanted to, to design stuff, like he actually made me want to keep doing it. And, and one big detail with that class in particular is we had the choice in the middle of the quarter. Um, either you could... Uh, keep doing these little still lives and there's a few of them and they're basically half of your grade or you could take a risk and do this much more detailed project on like a 30 inch by 40 inch uh, piece of museum board or something I can't remember what it was uh, but uh, the whole idea is that you had to complete that and that was going to be half your grade so you could take the risk and just like have one piece literally uh, call it whether you're not you're going to fail or get a good grade Um, and I took the risk on that, uh, because like, I, I kind of felt like I could do it and he was giving me the confidence I could do it. And throughout the whole thing, there was a small group that ended up taking that project. We did extra time and like, he stuck with us through the whole time, uh, to like be encouraging, to give us tips along the way and just kind of be like a really, really awesome teacher. Um, so the the thing that I'm always going to keep with me is like, I, I would always want to be that's sort of a mentor for somebody. Um, I would want to be as uh, encouraging as I could be, um, with other folks I'm working with, uh, that, and, and know that I shouldn't walk into things necessarily jaded or like have this negative disposition walking into it where I do have the opportunity to actually feel positive about it and feel encouraged. Um, and outside of that he was just like a a really good artist so like i always loved the stuff that he made so there's just like there's so many things about it uh, about him in particular that made me inspired in a way that a lot of uh design celebrities can't do um so i I think if there was anything to point to that's probably going to be something that's a little bit sticky to me
0: This has been On The Grid, episode 139. This week, I want you to follow us on Twitter, at GridShow. It's a weird robot combination of the tweets from Dan, Andy, and I. And if you want to follow us individually, you can follow us at MattMC, at AndyMangold, and at hour. Check it out, at GridShow. Thanks to Dan for the interlude music, Girlfriends for the theme music, and finally, thanks to you for listening. Until next week.